We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you finish Did you that? Did that? We're about, one and a half, we're about halfway there. We're just saying that he's off to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Field of 68 till I die. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. Field of 68 After Dark on a Black Friday night, and it has been a full day of college hoops for us to break down and still more games to come after dark. I'm John Fanta, Rob Doster, Matt McCall are with me. We're going to be reacting live to UConn and Alabama. Winner is going to play Iowa State in the Phil Knight Invitational Final. Why? Because the Cyclones took down number one in the headliner of the day. Number one, North Carolina has fallen. A 70-65 to win for the Cyclones. We will be joined coming up in just a few minutes by the star of the show, Caleb Grill, who was fantastic with 31 points as Iowa State beat the Tar Heels 70 to 65. Coach McCall, number one has fallen in college basketball. What's your reaction right off the top of the show of this major win for the Cyclones and certainly a loss for the top ranked Tar Heels? Well, I think I talked about this a little bit the other night. First of all, give Iowa State all the credit, right? Tremendous game. Caleb Grill, who I know we're going to talk to here shortly. Jaron Holmes, former St. Bonaventure. Uh, Bonnie's and, and the performance that he had tonight with 22, but just everything that that team has been through uh, to knock off Carolina. Uh, what a tremendous, tremendous game. But we talked about this before. Carolina's dealing with something that's a little bit different for them after what they did last year. New coach going into last year. Where were those expectations? Now they got all kinds of expectations on them. Okay. And that's a different deal to, the thing to deal with on a night in and night out basis. But take nothing away from what Iowa State did because just what a tremendous game. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you got to give all the credit in the world to Iowa State for that performance. Caleb Grill, I don't think. He, I mean, every time the ball left his hands, it was like, that thing's good. It doesn't matter how tough it was. He had a couple heat checks in the first half that were a little bit ridiculous. Two of them actually went in. Um, so all the credit in the world to him. But, uh, I mean, I took more from this game about North Carolina. I, I said this before 
uh, the PK 85 started that we were going to learn a lot about what this team actually is. You know, are they really what they've been through those first four games? Was this a situation where you had a little bit of a hangover from making it to the national title game? Maybe the, just playing by games at home wasn't enough for this team to get it going, but right. they struggled against Portland in the opener of this tournament. They struggled against an Iowa state team that they probably should beat. And to be completely frank, this looks a lot more like a team that is in that kind of 17 to 20 range, which is where they're ranked on Kempom right now, as opposed to the number one team um, in college basketball. Why? Why, I Rob? What, what, what's wrong? What, what's wrong with North Carolina? Uh, so I think one of the big issues is defensively, right? They're they are not yeah. they're not locked in on that end of the floor, and they never were a great defensive team. I think when you are playing R.J. Davis and Caleb Love in the backcourt together, you're not really ex- expecting it to be a great defensive team. It's not like Armando Baycott's going to be out here switching everything, um, on, on, like one through five either. Uh, but when you combine that with the fact that it's been a little bit difficult to get RJ and Caleb kind of in sync, neither of them are playing great right now. You don't have that elite three point th- shooting threat that Brady Manick was, you know, Pete Nance is making kind of open standstill threes. He's not, you're not running him off of screens. You're not able to manipulate a defense the way that you could with Brady Manick out there down the stretch of the season. Um, I think it's been a little bit, more challenging to get Armando Baycott into the game. Uh, I don't know if that's because the guards don't want to throw him the ball or if, you know, he's just not as engaged or if he just if teams know what he is now, uh, maybe the scouting reports out on it, but it's just, they haven't been great defensively. And when you're not great defensively and you're shooting three for 18 from three, like they did tonight, if you have 12 assists and 14 turnovers, like they did tonight, you're just, you're not going to win a lot of basketball games playing that way. It's just, I think it's just that simple. Yeah. I, I think the turnovers is the biggest thing too. Right. I mean, uh, coming off again, what they did last year. And, and like Rob said, maybe is there a little hangover going on? I think, again, it's back to those expectations. But to only have 12 assists and 14 turnovers, I, I think that in, in the perimeter shooting, like Rob just mentioned, I think that's a huge key. But even going back to what he said earlier, too, about about the defense, giving up over 70 a game right now. OK, and it's it's hard to win basketball games when you're giving up that many points. Yeah, so here's here's the big thing for me. Um, when you talk about the way that this team is constructed, right, they're going to get to the offensive glass. They're, they're going to have some chances on second chance points. That's kind of what North Carolina has been known for. But it's hard to run offense through the post when you have a wing like Leaky Black that is not a threat from the perimeter, and you have a guy like Pete Nance, what was he, one for three tonight? So when you combine all that with the fact that their guards were two for 14 from three, now look, a lot of that credit has to go to Iowa State. They run that no middle defense that everybody in the Big 12 runs, right? They're really good at it. I think TJ, it's weird. I don't know if he was necessarily known for being a defensive guy before he got there, but maybe it's just what happens when you go to the Big 12. You turn into a defensive mastermind. Um, but he that no middle defense is kind of difficult when you're smaller. Girl. So I'm, I'm willing to overlook that a little bit, but I do think that there are some kind of structural flaws with the way that this team is built that they're, I mean, look, their, their performances have, have went this out, right? Some of the, the things that prognosticators have said, uh, they're not the number one team in the country. They just got hot for a month last season, this, that, and the third. It's kind of playing out. It's kind of playing true. They remind me a little bit of not just UCLA last year, but do you guys remember the 2004, 15 Maryland team when Robert Carter transferred into the program and they brought all those guys back preseason number one mellow Trimble that whole group and then they ended up being like a five seed I think they lost to Cal in the first round of the tournament or in the second round of the tournament when Cal had Jalen Brown and, and Ivan Rabin those guys that's kind of what this team is reminding me of right now like you got a lot of good players but do the pieces necessarily fit the way that sure. you need them to be able to fit to win at the highest level of college basketball 
And again, I'm not trying to, you know, reiterate this, but night in and night out, you got that number one sitting next to your name. The expectations are placed on you. You're getting everyone's best shot, right? Not only are you Carolina, but you're number one in the country, Carolina. So you're getting everyone's best shot. And that's a hard, hard thing to deal with. You know, I remember even going back to 06 and 07 in Florida. In 06, there were zero expectations on that national championship team, right? Started off the season 17-0. and 0. I think we were 10-6 and 6 in the SEC and then went on an unbelievable run in the NCAA tournament. And then everybody came back. And what you're dealing with in that next season with that number one sitting next to your name, that's a lot to deal with. It is. Yeah, I, I also, fans, I, can I just make one point? Like, we're talking a lot about North Carolina and the loss, and rightfully so. They're North Carolina. They're the number one team in the country. But we got to, we also have to give a lot of credit to this Iowa State team and to TJ Altsberger. How many people expected them to do this this season, right? We saw it last year. We saw them come out of nowhere. When they started the year 12 and 0, uh, they ended up, I think they only went 7 11 to the Big 12, but they made the Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Lost, yeah, they lost some key pieces. Uh, they lost uh, Tyrese uh, Hunter, um, transferred to Texas. They lost Jeremiah Williams in the preseason to uh, was in Achilles and AC something. He's done for the year. Um, no, no I don't think anyone saw this happening again. And you know what? TJ just turned these dudes around. He's like, all right, we got to find a way to make uh, make this happen. We got to find a way to get it done. So um, the fact that they've been able to do it two different ways too. Like last night, they beat Villanova and, and uh, Gabe Kalsher went nuts. But he had like 23, hit four threes. Tonight, he couldn't throw a ball in the ocean. And Caleb Grill picks up the slack. Jerron Holmes uh, probably has his best game as a Cyclone yet. Um, they're doing it without, you know, getting much production from other guys. But when you have two guys that can go out there and win you a game, I think that kind of tells you what you can be. Play tough defensively, keep yourself in it, and just hope that you got one of these three or four guys goes nuts. That's kind of the way that it works. And well, let's welcome him in. Let's welcome him in now. We got him, guys. We got Caleb Grill who went off for the Iowa State Cyclones in a 70-65 to 65 win over North Carolina. And when we connect him in, we're going to start talking to the star of the day in college hoops. That's what Feel the 68 After Dark, presented by Bet Rivers, is all about. Caleb Grill is joining us 31 points today as his Iowa State Cyclones shock the North Carolina Tar Heels, the top-ranked Tar Heels, and advance to the PK Invitational championship game caleb you are live with us here you are live with us on feel of 68 after dark congratulations i i gotta ask you first man like it's 60 to 53 there's less than four minutes to go in this game and north carolina looks like they're going to be moving on you hit a three that started the run what clicks in your brain when you're down seven, what are you telling yourself in that moment that led to an incredible comeback and win? So during that during that last media timeout, I kind of looked up at the scoreboard, and we were in a similar situation uh, last year when we played Kansas at Kansas. We were down six at the last media timeout. And unfortunately, like well, we got the lead back, so we ended up getting the lead back, but we didn't close the deal. And I just kept thinking to myself that whole time, like, I want to close the deal, like how we had that game. I want to have another opportunity like that, and I want to close the deal this year. Caleb, first of all, man, congratulations. Great win. That that was exciting to watch. Um, Going into this game, I I think you were four for 24 uh, from the three-point line going into the game, and tonight you go seven for 11. What was just your mentality in terms of continuing, even though you may have been struggling a little bit going into the game, 
just your mentality in terms of just shooting that basketball with just tremendous confidence going into this game? You know, I would say I've put in so much work during my whole life leading up to this moment. And I know I trusted the work I've done. And, you know, everybody usually has their skids of games where they may not perform well. And I just had a four-game skid, I feel like. Um, I feel like I'm capable of being a 40% three-point shooter, and I don't think the numbers showed that for the first four games. So I was happy I could provide that ability for our team tonight and just get the win. Caleb, last year uh, you came in with, um, with with TJ, and I don't think there were really any expectation on you guys to do all that much. You started the season out 12-0. and 0, uh, You end up making it to the Sweet 16. This year you lost a couple key pieces, a couple guys transferred out. You had a, a big injury um, in the preseason before things get started, and they were still uh, – it was another year where there wasn't much expectation on you guys coming in. What is it about Coach that, that gets you guys to believe and gets you guys to buy in where you can play at this level? What, what coach is really good at is getting the most out of everybody. And then everybody's wants to play for him. Just we have practice every morning and before we even get there, he's already working out and lifting. Um, it just shows like how dedicated he is to like act like he's in the moment with us and be in the trenches with us and just, just showing how much he really cares about each individual. So just the commitment he has invested into us makes all of us want to invest everything we got into him and for the program. Caleb, I got to ask you this. When you're growing up, like, who did you just love watching? I don't know if it's a shooter. I don't know if it's somebody that you just idolized, whether it be at the college level, the NBA level. Who did Caleb Grill just love watching growing up? So I'm originally from Wichita, Kansas, and my dad played at Wichita State. So my favorite team growing up was the Shockers. And I would say, like, just watching them, how hard they played. They played so hard, and they just played with that attitude with them when I was growing up. And I would say Ron Baker was probably, like, my favorite player to watch. Um, he's obviously a Kansas kid like myself. And, you know, just what he did um, leading them to a Final Four and then multiple conference championships and league championships. You know, I think they went 35-0 and one year, and they lost to Kentucky in the round of 32. But – just all the accomplishments that him, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Clee Anthony Early, Tekel Cotton, and all them uh, made together was just something I really looked up to when I was a kid, and I really enjoyed watching those games. I got to ask you, if you are a Ron Baker fan, how come you're not growing the hair out? You can't get the, the <laughs> like that? I don't know. I was actually growing out a little bit, but um, I swear it just quit growing. So I ended up getting a haircut probably like a month ago, so – Caleb, let me ask you this, man. Your journey, just even back to Iowa State, right? In high school, you signed with originally South Dakota State. Then there's a coaching change there. You open your recruitment. You go to Iowa State. You transfer to UNLV, and now you're back. Just talk. I think it's just such a unique journey. And then to see you on the stage tonight and how you perform, just talk a little bit about that journey and, and how rewarding is it for you to, to have a night like you did tonight? You know, I couldn't be more grateful for the journey that I've been on. It's been a roller coaster one for sure. But what makes it so special with TJ is he was the very first coach to ever recruit me at South Dakota State. And, you know, just how much time and effort he put into it. Um, just made me really want to be a part of it. And I connected really well with the players at South Dakota State. And it felt like home to me. And even though I had maybe some high major offers, like that felt like the right place for me. Unfortunately, when he took the job at UNLV, I didn't feel the same way about that. Um, you know, really far away from home. Um, 
obviously Vegas is a different lifestyle. So I ended up going to Iowa state and, you know, I was really grateful for that experience. You know, I learned a lot from those coaches and players there. Um, but toward, at the end of the season, I just didn't think it was the best place for me. And thankfully, uh, TJ recruited me out of the portal to come to UNLV and I went to UNLV and I felt like I gained a lot of confidence and, you know, he put a lot of trust into me and I was just really, uh, had a good time working with him and playing for him. And then when he got the job back at Iowa state, you know, I really liked it here the first go around and, you know, I was just so grateful, um, to be closer to home and be back in the big 12 and then be at a place that I really liked a lot. And once he got the job back here, it was like a no brainer for me to come back and play with him. Caleb, it was a lot of fun watching you take down number one today. Big time performance. We got to go rapid fire with you here. I'm going to give you rapid fire questions. You're going to give us answers. That's what we do on Field of 68 after dark. If you could stand first in line at any store on Black Friday, first in line, any store Black Friday, where are you going? Best Buy. Good choice. Well done. Good choice. Well done. What's Caleb Grill's favorite meal? I would say my favorite meal is when my dad grills in the steak at home. Well done. Best Thanksgiving side? Side? I like uh, cream corn. Cream corn. Okay. Way to bring something different to the table. The three artists that you have got to be listening to before a big game? Metallica, Motley Crue, and Van Halen. Wow. wow. All right. There you go. Now that's one hell of a playlist. Coach McCall <laughs> can relate to that right there. Caleb yeah. Grill, you just gained a fan in all of us. Uh, Van Halen, Metallica, Motley Crue. Home sweet home, baby. Home sweet home. Enjoy sweet it, Caleb. Home, baby. Thanks for joining us, and good luck on Sunday when you compete for a championship. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on here. Thanks, Caleb. And only Caleb Grill. Now that was Metallica. Crazy. Metallica. I Fanta, not... were you ready for that? Were you ready for Metallica? No, but I love Jump from Van Halen. Like, I could totally relate to that. Play. I have never heard a player give us those three. The only I was not expecting I... Motley Crue, man. I was not expecting that Motley Crue. That one came out of left field. The other guy oh, I man. know that listens to Metallica pregame when he was in college and the NBA was Matt Bonner. Matt Bonner was a huge Metallica fan. Huge. That that That's actually amazing. makes a lot of sense. That that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I, I can see that. I can see that being the case. All right, we have a game going on right now. Who is Iowa State going to meet on Sunday? It's the winner of UConn and Alabama. Rob Dalster is in fitting attire for tonight's show. Rob, give us your uh, immediate reaction to what's going on right now in Portland. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of a lot of flopping going on that isn't getting called. I'll tell you that much. There, there, I. Look, I, I'm. I, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on the rant here. I'm, I'm going to do it right now. We don't need to make all these rules to try to get flopping out of the game. If you want to get flopping out of the game, stop calling the flops fouls. Stop rewarding these guys for falling down. Like I, I understand why defenders, when you're guarding in the post, you're going to chest out, right? Wait till you feel that contact, and then pretend that boom, like you got hit in the bottom of the chin with a baseball bat, right? Like Matt McCall is coming up with a Louisville slugger and just bam, hitting you right in the chin. Yeah, that you got to do that because it gets rewarded. You want people to stop doing that? Stop calling it. Tell the officials to take that whistle out of their mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's all you got to do. That's how you stop the flopping. We don't need to have these different rules where you have to stop the game and you have to go and review. And all it's turning into now is three-point shooters that are 
feel like they don't have the space to land that are falling down backwards that are getting called for flops. And they're getting technical fouls for it. That's the only thing that we're seeing it for right now. It's not when guys are, are, are faking contact or when guys are trying to draw a charge. You want to get that out of the game? Stop calling it. That's the thing that makes people the most frustrated, right? If you're a seven foot, 265 pound center and you're one guy's hitting you right in the chest and you're falling down like you got hit by a Mack truck, come on, man. Like these refs aren't that dumb. You know what you're doing. You're rewarding them for falling down. That is a flop. You want people to stop doing it? Stop calling it. It's that simple. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And it has yeah. my rant has nothing to do with the fact that UConn's gotten called for four of them tonight. <laughs> I, think, I think Matt wanted to make sure that you were done. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, flop out of it for right now, right? The block charge call is the most inconsistent call in all of college basketball. It's the most inconsistent. But I agree with Rob just in terms of refs. Referees have to ref the game to a little bit of feel. Right, so if a seven foot two, two hundred and eighty pound guy is backing his way into the post, and on the second hit the guy falls down, that's not a charge. Shouldn't be called a charge. It's not a charge. So feel well, it, has it, to it is called a char- breaking news. Breaking news, coach. It is, it is called a charge quite often. <laughs> but feel has to come somewhat into play. But it's the most inconsistent call in all of college basketball there's zero level of consistency with it the offensive flop that's just a whole different deal and that now has become very very inconsistent and it's almost like guys are still shocked when they call it it's a technical foul to go to the field oh why is he going to the foul line well because now there's no warning you kicked your legs out they called it and he's going to get a free throw yeah that's that's what the flop has become and it's it's the most it's the most frustrating thing to watch these games where you're like, yeah, we're getting rid of flopping. We're going to have, that's going to be out of college basketball. We're never going to see it again. Nope. The only thing we're seeing now, are guys getting technical fouls for falling down on issue. And it's slowing and the not, game. That, that is, that is enti- like when we say we want to get flopping out of the game, that is absolutely not what we were talking about. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> not the, at all. The, the, I think the worst thing, the thing that illustrates the problem with the block charge call is when you have dueling whistles, one from the baseline and one from the side, and you have one official calling a block and the other official calling a charge, and typically it's whoever's more confident in their call, and that's the call that's made. And and that, to me, illustrates the problem at hand. 
there's got to be more feel. And I think part of it is, to your point, Coach, officials are constantly battling with what the rule in writing is versus what they're seeing with their two experienced eyes. And that's that's that internal battle. I think officials sometimes are, are battling themselves. And, you know, doing games for FS1 throughout the season, we had a preseason call. And Chris Rastatter, who's taken over as the as the head of officials this season, said to us on the call, one of the things that we're stressing to our officials is officiate the game as you see it. But that's not happening enough. And part of the reason why is, folks, for those who don't know, officials are constantly being evaluated. They're constantly being judged. And so I think that sometimes guides some of these calls, some of these calls that, frankly, just because it might look like something that's written factually in a rule book doesn't always mean that that's what's necessarily ap- applicable to a basketball game. Am I crazy? Fanta, Fanta, listen, there is nothing more frustrating as a coach, too. When the whistle is blown, you've got the referee on the baseline, and you've got the referee at midcourt, whoever, whoever blew the whistle, and they're both staring at each other on someone to make the call they're staring right is it a block is it a charge they're like uh you 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 call it i'm not calling you and then all of a sudden it's a block and, it, and it, it's you lose your mind as a coach it's like blow the whistle and make the call with some level of authority and then we can move on wait have you ever been tossed i've not been tossed i've You've not. never no wait a minute okay follow-up question tossed. you have to tell it now some maybe it's somebody that you like any any time in your coaching career where somebody just had had it and got tossed on the other side? Ooh. You know what? I was a part of a game as an assistant coach when I was at Florida Atlantic University, and Mike Jarvis got seven technical fouls in one game. <laughs> it was literally the one of the most unbelievable things I've ever – he just kept yelling at the guy to give him another one, give him another one. It was literally one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seven witnessed. Seven technical fouls. Seven technicals, yeah, in one game. We were in the middle. This was our first year at Florida Atlantic. We were in the middle of a 19-game losing streak. Two years <laughs> later, we ended up winning the Sunbelt Conference, but we were in the middle of a long losing streak, and Coach Jarvis got seven in a row. It was impressive, Fanta, to, to say the least. All <laughs> right, let's easy. transition here, guys. We got to talk about – more from Portland. So much to talk about today. And in the Phil Knight Invitational, Villanova falling to Portland, 83-71. to 71. Rob, I, I see you fist pumping. What just happened quickly? Uh, you quickly. can't just call, keep going with Villanova. I'm not jinxing it. Okay. Villanova loses to Portland, 83-71. to 71. Villanova is 2-4. and four. I've got so many thoughts on this, but I want to tee each one of you up here. What is going on? with the Villanova Wildcats right now. So I'll, I'll go, I'll, let me take this one first, Matt, because I have yeah. pretty strong opinions on this. I get very frustrated when people are coming out here and saying things like, oh, Kyle Neptune can't coach or Villanova's wild, the program's dead. It's it's in a free fall. It's just like, come on, man. Like, look, this Villanova team right now, one, they are transitioning into lose uh, from losing one of the greatest coaches that we've ever seen, right? Jay Wright, I don't think anyone can make an argument against the fact that Jay Wright is one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen. He was probably at the peak of his game, top of his game, when he retired. Um, They are also doing that while losing an All-American point guard that was there for five years in Colin Gillespie and making that transition. 
They don't have a point guard to replace him unless you count Chris Archidiakono, who uh, frankly is not good enough, or Mark Armstrong, who is a freshman who is not quite ready to to play at this level just yet. And if he is, then I I mean, I don't know why Kyle's not playing him. Um, second part of it, their top two players are not healthy. Justin Moore was their was their second best player last season, would have been a preseason All-American this year if he had not torn his Achilles in last year's NCAA tournament. They might have won a national title last year if he had not torn his Achilles. They don't have Cam Whitmore, who was, I mean, if you watch the U19s, one of the most impressive young players in that tournament, one of the most impressive freshmen coming into this class, and a guy that was projected as like a top five, six, seven pick in the NBA draft, one of the best freshmen in college basketball. They don't have those two guys. And they're playing guys that should be complementary pieces in starring roles. Eric Dixon, if he's your third option, great third option. Caleb Daniels, if he's your third option, great third option. Brandon Slater, if he's like your fifth best player on the floor, great fifth best player on the floor. But Caleb Daniels has to be your star. Eric Dixon has to be your star right now, your go-to guy. And that they're not good enough to thrive in those roles the way that you want a Villanova team to thrive in those roles. Combine all of that with the fact that, and, and McCall, correct me if I'm wrong on any of what I'm about to say right now. Jay Wright is one of the best teachers of the game in college basketball. The absolute best. Villanova doesn't run play, or didn't run plays when he was there. They had concepts. They had this idea of how they wanted to play. There are things that they would do to start the action, right? But the entire basis of their offense was we're going to find a way to get a paint touch off the dribble, create a close or create help, draw a second defender, kick it out, create a closeout. That guy's going to attack. He's going to draw a help defender. You're going to kick it out, swing, swing, create a closeout. Just play basketball until you either get a shot at the rim, an open three, or a clean pull up. And there's different ways that you could start it, whether it was a ball screen or just dribble into a post up, whatever it is. But that was the basis of what they ran. They probably have like three or four plays in their entire playbook. Jay Wright taught them how to play, which is why you see so many Villanova guys end up being great role players in the NBA. Kyle is is what he's like 35 years old, man. It's his second year as a head coach. You cannot judge anything that he's doing in his second year as a head coach. First year at Villanova, replacing a legend, no point guard without his two best players. Should Villanova be better than they are? Maybe. They've lost a couple of really close games. They've been down big and fought all the way back. You cannot question the heart of that team. Should they have beaten Portland? Yeah, probably. Shante Liggins? A great coach is going to be a guy that's going to start yeah. a high major yes. very, very soon. So it's not great at Villanova right now. There are things they need to fix. But to act like you can make any kind of sweeping generalizations beyond this team doesn't have their two best players, they don't have a point guard, they have a new head coach replacing a legend, is just laughable to me. Remember, all of us wanted like, – we thought Hubert Davis was the wrong hire like last February. They made the national title game six weeks later. I'm just yep. throwing that out there. I'm just saying that. So give the guy time. I don't think it's it's way too early to do anything other than say, oh, man, this is a, this is a tough start for Kyle. It's new for everyone, right? And and I know these both these situations get compared a lot, right? John Shire at Duke takes over for a legend in Coach K. Kyle Nep- Neptune at Villanova takes over for the – but you're talking about two completely different situations, okay? Yes. Kyle Neptune wasn't there last year. Kyle Neptune got his opportunity as a head coach and did a heck of a job at Fordham and injected excitement at that program and won games and competed in the Atlanta. You couldn't just walk into Fordham and get a win anymore. Like Kyle Neptune injected excitement into Fordham last year, but it was his first year as a head coach. He goes back to Villanova. It's not like a situation he takes over Villanova, 
he, and this is no knock on any assistant coach that's there. This is no knock on any staff member that's there. But he takes over at Fordham. He gets to hire his entire staff. He gets to surround himself with people, his leadership style. He's taking over something completely different at Villanova. Not to mention he's taking over for a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. So the expectations for him are there. But I completely agree with her. Just give him some time. He's a good coach. He proved that he can coach. He didn't forget how to coach these last six games. He didn't forget. you got to give everyone time in the program to get adjusted and develop and even allow him to develop as a coach. It's only his second year as a head coach. Give him some I understand the expectations are high. You're talking about a program that's, you know, what, the top four program in the last 10 years in the country. I get that. But everybody in that program needs some time, and it's just way too early to pass judgment. And they're missing their two best players. Like, we can't and that. Every single team in the country, it doesn't matter who you are, every team in the country, every NBA team, every NFL team, every Major League Baseball team, every team that you coach with your for, for your kids in Little League, right? It doesn't matter. No matter what the team is, if you are missing your two best players, you are not going to be as good as you are when you have your two best players. Like, it's, it's, it's not that difficult of a concept. It's not. Here's, here's the deal with Villanova from this chair. In the last two games... Villanova has attempted 77 three-pointers. 77. They have taken 77 three-point shots. They've made 22 of them. That's 55 shots that didn't go in. Mm -hmm. And they lost by two points to Iowa State, and they should have lost to Portland, and they did. Villanova has had two constants over the last 10 years. Elite point guard play. Not good point guard play. Not great point guard play. Elite point guard play. Run run through the list of guys since 2013. Just run it through. Ryan Archidiacono mm-hmm. hands a torch to Jalen Brunson. Mm-hmm. Hands a torch to Colin Gillespie. Mm-hmm. Those guys aren't bad. They're not bad. They're not bad. And you could go, you could go even before that. And you could go keep, before keep that. <laughs> you could go right down the line and bring up. All of the great point guards. That's always been a constant to who they are. And you package that together with a Hall of Famer, an all-time great, who did one of the outstanding building jobs in the history of college basketball. So you package together a Hall of Famer with might as well be Hall of Fame college-level point guards year in and year out. Now you take both of those and shut them down. And you didn't have a year, like Coach said, you didn't have a year to prepare, groom, go through a transition period. Mike Krzyzewski was very, very smart in in how he designed everything. It's not that Jay Wright wasn't. It's not to take anything away from Jay. It's that we all can admit, Kyle Neptune admitted, this shocked him. This shocked him. This stunned him. There was no way to prepare fully for walking out of the tunnel on November 7th and being the Villanova head coach. And so what you're watching right now, folks, as much as it is surprising to see the results, look at who Villanova has. Look at all the new. It's like when you go to that neighborhood restaurant and you have always loved their burger. You've always loved their burger. And you go into that restaurant on a Saturday afternoon, and it's got the same name, 
The same burger listed, the same price, the menu looks the same. Even some of the staff members are the same. And you take a bite out of the burger and you go, uh-oh, what the hell is this? And then you, you start to ask a waitress, your favorite waitress, Mary, and you say, Mary, what happened? Or what, what's wrong with this burger? And Mary goes, we changed ownership pants in the last couple of months, and they've decided to make some different decisions. In other words, right now, Villanova has the same business name out front. They've got the same menu, but the ingredients to that menu are not there. They're not what they've been. <laughs> you're 100 percent right i was waiting to figure out where you were going what with an that analogy. analogy yeah with the with the, what was the waitress's name was it Sarah, mary. You said? mary mary she's mary, very good the, you still Mary's tipped good. her you still tipped her the same because your kids and her kids play on the same summer baseball team but <laughs> but the changing of it was a decision beyond mary they started to go to a different farm for their cow and the beef doesn't taste the same it is that's what that's what villanova is right now you're, you're not used to seeing Villanova lose to Portland. You're not used to seeing it happen. But to the people on Twitter let me, who are can saying – I'm going I'm to – let me, let me counter that real quick, Fanta, because we have – in 2019, in 2018-19, the year after they won the national title, they lost to Furman that year. They lost to someone else. They had like three bad losses heading into conference play, right? For sure. They still finished at number 60 because Jay Wright figured it out because he's great at what he does. He right. also they, had all his entire roster. He had his best players available. So – Let's pump the brakes. Pump the brakes, folks. Let's, let's realize what we're seeing right here with Kyle Neptune. Yep. And let's just like give him some time. You cannot judge in a coaching tenure six games in. If year three, you still have Villanova struggling like this, okay, then we can have that conversation. Hell, we can even have that conversation year two. If, if this doesn't turn around and he has a bad start to next season, then we can start having that conversation, right? But you got to give him time. Sure. You have to give him some time. I understand it sucks, Villanova fans, but like, uh, you've had, you know, breath. you you made the final four last year. You've won two of the last five national titles. Okay, you right. guys can you you can uh, take a breath. Right? I get go, some watch, go watch the highlights. Go watch the uh, the game where you played Oklahoma in the final four. Okay, that'll I, make you feel a little bit better. Yeah, I get some Patriot fan vibes right now from the Villanova fans. <laughs> just, of like, just a little bit. Just a little. Just a little. It's Let's almost it's almost here. like they're from Philadelphia. Fanta. You're right. Right. We've only got 25 minutes. The time just flies on after dark. So we got to transition here. Or go ahead, Rob. You got something. Jump in. Well, no, no. I was just going to say that you, yeah. you made a you made a point there about comparing Neptune to Shire. And I wanted to say something about Shire real quick because I, I know. Well, that's response... where I was jumping. Duke wins today okay, over Xavier 71-64. So go right ahead. That's where we're I transitioning. Was, I was just going to say the thing I was really impressed about with Shire and, and, um, and Goodman made this point earlier on Twitter, and I, I completely agree with it, right? Derek Lively was the number one recruit in the country coming in this year. And I know he was banged up in the preseason. He played 16 minutes today. He was not in that stretch tonight. He was not in down the stretch last night. Ryan Young, a transfer from Northwestern, who, like, honestly, like, I, I don't think I've ever actually watched him play before he got to Duke, uh, played 21 minutes. Derek Whitehead, number two player in the country, number two prospect in the country coming in, played 11 minutes tonight. I know he's been injured, whatever. He's been back for enough time that he could play more than 11 minutes in a basketball game. Jalen Blakes played 25 minutes off the bench. Derek Whitehead played 11 minutes. I it, it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude, right, to 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 sit the guys on the bench that aren't playing the best when they are the highest rated recruits that are coming in. And I, I think I think you need to applaud Shire for that. And I think that it, I, I don't know if that's something that Coach K necessarily would have done in the same situation. Um, 
but it's it's a very very impressive thing to me that he's willing to sit the guys that were the top two players in the class in moments like that on national television in the biggest games in this PK 85 event that I'm sure was part of the reason they were able to get those kids to come in. It's like, yeah, you can play in the champions class. You can play in PK 85. You're going to play in Cameron sure. indoor stadium. These guys are on the bench down the stretch. It, it's not, I mean, Matt, you, you could speak to that better than me, but that is not an easy thing to do. No. And even going back to what we were just talking about with Villanova, what's the difference in the situation, right? Point guard play. Okay. Your guy that started on a Final Four team last year, right, Jeremy Roach, comes out today. He goes for 21. He has five assists. He has over half their assists and made some huge plays down the stretch, right? So I think that's a little bit of a difference. When you have a guy like that, listen, I totally agree with you, Rob, in terms of that's not an easy thing for him to do. It takes a level of confidence that he must have just as a coach in year one to be able to sit those guys and do what's best for the team. What's best for the team in that moment was for those guys to be on the bench and the other guys to be in the game. But take nothing away from what Roach did out there tonight, right? And it's not like he stepped up. He's a starting point guard on the Final Four team. And for him to put that kind of performance out there tonight says a lot about him too. Mm-hmm. He, he was so good tonight. And, and oh, they, yeah. I, Fanta, like we – we got we got in trouble on Duke Twitter a little bit in the in the preseason. I'm going to get to that in a second. We, we, okay, I'll let you I'll let you say your piece there. Yeah. Um, he has not. He had a great first half of the Champions Classic. Roach has not really been great so far this year. He didn't really need to be because they haven't really played anybody. I thought he was fantastic tonight. Like I, I don't have enough words to say about him. He's ex- what he did tonight is exactly what Duke needs from him for them to be able to reach their ceiling, and that is. Being able to make plays off the bounce when stuff kind of gets bogged down, right? Being able to come off of a ball screen and hit a pull-up jumper. Being able to get the ball to where it needs to be so that Kyle Filipowski can get a post-touch. Be able to get a paint touch so you can kick it out so one of these guys can make an open three. I just, I thought he was tremendous tonight. And if he plays this way the rest of the season, like it changes what Duke's ceiling can be. I think it changes drastically because Filipowski is already better than I thought he was going to be. Mark Mitchell's has probably been all around Correct me if someone in the chat, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think Mark, Mark Mitchell has probably been their best all-around player. Filipowski is averaging 16 and 11, and we still haven't seen the best of Lively. He's going to get better, folks. He's and Whitehead. Going, he, he is awesome. Derek Whitehead is going to get better. He is really, really good. And you're seeing role players thrive in their roles. You're seeing these guys develop confidence. And the the, the guys that are the most talented dudes are only going to get better, and Duke is still winning games. Like, I I've been really, really impressed with with what Shire's done, with the wins they've had, with the ways he's developed these these guys, with the way he's worked his team. And who do they have? Are they playing the winner of uh, Gonzaga, Gonzaga Purdue, right? and Purdue? Drew Timmy and Zach Eady after dark. It's coming up, and they will play the winner of Gonzaga and Purdue. And guys, this is good for college basketball. I don't think people know this, but at the Field of 68, we love to tell you different things about the sport. Regardless of who wins the game between Gonzaga and Purdue, of course, the networks the networks are going to say that they that they are hoping for Gonzaga Duke. Uh, Purdue would be – they're more than capable, and, and Matt Painter's already done a very nice job with a new-look backcourt. Regardless, whoever Duke's playing on Sunday, that game will be televised on ABC. That's a prime broadcast window Sunday afternoon. We often talk about how does the sport showcase itself this time of year. It's in the middle of the afternoon. Sure, there's football going on, but if we can – if we get a Duke-Gonzaga final – that would be quite the spectacle. But on the other side, Zach Eady on broadcast television is a beautiful thing, too. We'll see if Purdue 
Big and, sexy Zach Eady. Yeah, I'm not getting into that. But I do want to say this before we get to Kansas, and we're getting to Kansas next. So, chat, start telling us what you think of Tennessee over Kansas today for the Battle for Atlantis title. Kudos to you, Jeremy Roach. Big game Roach is the real deal. On the big stage, when it matters most, he has shown that he's got that it factor. To be that alpha, to be that leader. And when Duke was struggling in this game, struggling to score at one point in the game, in the second half, Xavier went on a 19-9 run. And by the way, the wheels are turning in Cincinnati. Sean Miller's got something cooking. There's a, they've got things they got to work on, but you could see it. You could see it starting to piece together there. Jeremy Roach was the best player on the floor down the stretch in this game, not just offensively, but he had a steal and a bucket in transition that changed the momentum even more in the favor of Duke. I said in the offseason that I felt there were some limitations to Jeremy Roach's game. In other words, Terrence Oglesby on our DTF podcast brought up that he thinks Roach can be an All-American, and I was on the record saying I don't see that necessarily, but guess what? I'm wrong plenty of times, missed plenty of shots. I'm going to admit it right now. I, I was wrong because Jeremy Roach is a big game player and he's got serious leadership skills and serious game. Now, Rob said it, consistency. We'll see if it continues to be consistent, but I know this much. The kid's got the heart of a lion. Like he knows what it means to lead his team. And for that, I credit you, Jeremy Roach. You're one of the stars of college basketball and you showed it here. Tonight, that's a big win for Duke. We'll, we'll see. We'll get into on that. that we, you, uh, you kind of stole my uh, my toast of the night for the way, for for ending the show. So, um, a little well, you could change your toast because of the jersey. I might, I might have to change my toast after what's happened at the end of this game, Fanta. You're gonna, you're gonna change it. All right, let's transition here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tennessee. Can we can we talk about UConn for, for five minutes real quick here since this game is just ending? Can I, can I just talk my shit real quick, Wait, 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 hold on. Dagan, Dagan, what do you think? Can you unmute yourself, Dagan, and, and give us permission to talk about UConn? Is He's Dagan not, in the back? Hold on, I'm getting here. We, I, if it's up to me, I don't want to talk about UConn more than we need to, but I'm sure Rob's going to uh, overrule that. Just, just <laughs> let me say, let me say, this, this was – so far this season, yes, has there been a team that's been more impressive based on the level of competition that they played than than what UConn has put together, right? I, I I had I had doubts about this group coming in, right? I had questions about the point guard play, I had questions about how all of these pieces were going to fit together, I had questions about how you're going to build a team around two centers that are just kind of do their damage in the paint, and the defensive effort that they've put together the play of Tristan Newton overall development of Jordan Hawkins and the way, like I, I want to give coach early credit too, because the way that he's been able to kind of scheme sets to get Sonogo Duckins to be able to keep the offense moving like this so that you can't really set your defense against them. It's, it's been, 
It's been really, really impressive to watch. And Fanta, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but there there aren't very many teams that have the ability to be like as un uh as as malleable when it comes to matchups, right? If you want to play big, they can match you big for big. If you want to play, if they want to play small, if you want to go small against them, then they can match you small for small. If they want to go switchable, they can play four guys around Sonogo that are all six five to six eight and crazy athletic. It just it's I have no idea. I don't want to have make any comment on how good they are because I am very obviously biased and I don't trust my own opinion on it because I've, every time I watch them play, I'm like, yeah, that's the greatest team I've ever seen. Right. And every time they do something wrong, I'm like, ah, they fucking suck. Fire the entire coaching staff, fire the entire program into the sun. Right. I'm, I, I just, that's who I am as a fan when it comes to every sport, but I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong here. How many teams have been more impressive based off of the level of competition? Is there like Houston's been dominating people. I think Texas is probably above them. I would argue that Arizona and Creighton are up there, but like, are there 10 teams that have been better than UConn this season? I don't know if there are. I mean, maybe you throw Tennessee in there too, just based on what they just did. Um, and we saw what they did against Gonzaga in terms of the charity exhibition. I know it didn't count, but I would I would throw them in there. But I just thought the most impressive thing, and we didn't get to see a ton of the second half because we've been on here, but just even just how they played in transition, how they responded, right? Because they didn't finish the first half very well at all, right? They got a big – I think they were up 15, 17 points. Uh, you know, Alabama makes a run. They cut into it even going into the half. There's a little scuffle there at the half. And then to see them respond mm-hmm. and put the performance they did in the second half, yeah, I, I don't I don't see, you know, 10 teams better than them, not, not based on what they've done this season, not at all. Because last, well, last year after that moment – just I'm sorry to cut you off and I'll let you go, Fanny. Last year after that moment, like after – the giving up that lead at halftime after a little scuffle, like UConn would have folded last year, right? They wouldn't have found a way to go come back and win that game, especially after Alabama came back and took the lead tonight. They fought back. They, they kept fighting defensively. They got to the line. They got free throws when they couldn't really do anything else offensively. And then all it took little 12 Oh, spurt without five minutes left in the game, pulled them away. They end up winning by 15. It, lo- it looks a lot. The scorebook is going to look a lot, uh, worse than what I think the actual game was. I thought, I mean, Alabama's a really good team and they're only going to get better because they're so young, but, but that, the, the, I, I was very, very impressed with, with what I saw today. I'm trying to be as, as unbiased possible here, Fanta. Here's the deal. This is truly Dan Hurley's best team that he's had at Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I say team with an emphasis. He's had great players. He's had really skilled players. He had a lead guard in R.J. Cole last year who did things last year. They don't really have from one guy this year, but the way that UConn plays, this team fits Hurley's DNA Mm -hmm. because they come at you in waves. Last year's team got worn down. At the end of the season, they were not who they were in December, January, and even the beginning part of February. They fell apart because they didn't have enough options and they didn't have enough perimeter shooting. And what does it do for UConn when you give a team that's tough, that's physical, that's defensively sound, that has an elite big man inside? And Adama Sonogo is playing like an All-American. Not an honorable mention, not a second teamer. Adama Sonogo is playing like a first-team All-American. He's playing like one of the best five, six players in college basketball. 
But when you give a team that's as physical and tough as they are, perimeter shooting on a consistent level, you get a team that can be a dark horse to make a deep, deep NCAA tournament run. And that's the one thing that Hurley's been knocked on is, is you got to make the March run. And he knows it's, it's hard. It's UConn, and he knows man. Like you can't, do it. The, the UConn fans, gotta, yeah, UConn fans have an expectation that no matter what their seed is going into the tournament, they're going to, they're going to win the national title, right? Like if course. you get into the tournament, you're the favorite to win it because Kemba Walker and Shabazz Napier set a ridiculous standard of, of, of expectation. Of course, of course, of course. And that's why, and, and that's here's, why here's the it's a little fan. You don't, I, I, I do a UConn podcast and I tweet about UConn a lot. Everybody knows I'm a UConn fan, right? You, you would be baffled by how many people hit me up or DM me or tweet at me. And they're just like, UConn needs to fire Dan Hurley. He can't no, get they it. Don't. Like, come what the fuck are we talking about, man? Like this dude well, came but, into but, the but, AAC. But, but, they were under 500 standard, in the AAC when he got the job. But, what but are we that, doing here? That's standards. That's that's standards. It's, it's UConn fans. You know, they're, they're, they're about as passionate as you're going to find. And, and, and part of that could be good. And coach McCall, you know, part of that can be the other way, but here's what we know about UConn guys. They've been as impressive as any team in the PK 85 through two days. And the reason for it is, you know, they're tough. You know, they're going to walk in and fight you because that's what they do. They got different ways to score the ball coach. Like this is not a one dimensional team. And it's almost by having different options in the backcourt is better than having just one really, really good one. You feel like it can come from different areas, right? I think it comes from different areas. I think it's also, you know, any any Coach Hurley team is going to be tough, just like you said, but there's a level of unselfishness when you watch them play. The ball is moving. The ball is getting fired up the floor. It's not sticking. It's not one pick and roll and someone try to create a hero play or take a difficult shot. It's moving around and hopping around, and they are have a conscious effort of playing the game unselfishly which makes them that much more difficult to guard. You know they're going to play hard. They're going to defend. They're going to play with tremendous effort. You throw that unselfishness piece in there with the talent that they have out there, it'll be a hard team to beat. Mm -hmm. And just let me plug something real quick, Fana. On Sunday, 3.30 Eastern time, you mentioned that Duke and uh, whoever wins this Gonzaga-Purdue game is going to be playing on ABC. We're going to be doing a watch party on Watch Playback. It is at playback.tv. Um, I'll tweet out the link so everybody has it. Uh, it's playback.tv backslash field of 68. We're going to just go in, sign up, hang out. We're going to watch the game together. Uh, we'll turn down the Bill Walton audio just a little bit so you don't have to get overwhelmed by it. You can hear, you can hear me. And if we're blessed enough, maybe we can have Fanta and Coach McCall on with us too. Hey, uh, I, Bill Walton was talking about the Grateful Dead earlier. I, I forget who was walking in the gym. He's like, "Does he have a Grateful Dead shirt on?" Bill was like, "I don't." Dead shirt. Bill was like, "I don't know how we." It was Zach Eady. Bill was like, "I don't know how we got Zach that." Eady, that's what it was. And Roxy, yeah. Roxy Bernstein was like, "Bill, you can say that you gave it to him. It's okay now. NIL is allowed." And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> "He doesn't want to get a recruiter violation for giving that shirt out." Oh man, that was you funny. know, you know, the other thing is, one last thought on UConn. Sometimes by scheduling easier up front, it helps you when you get out to these events. They got to play with each other. They got to play through some mistakes. They got to sort of go through some of the things that. Maybe if you go through against a tougher team, you, you're not as prone to handle it in that moment. Like Hurley scheduled purposefully up front, not, not necessarily hard, knowing that he'd be in this PK-85. Now they're, you, 
you thought on paper, hey, we make it to the final, we get Carolina. Now they'll get Caleb Grill, who's become now America's favorite, and Iowa State on Sunday night. That's That game's going to be 10 Eastern time, ESPN Sunday, Iowa State and UConn. So now think about this, guys. A consolation game will feature North Carolina and Alabama. That's that's crazy. That tells you about PK-85. But let's transition. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be in consolation games, Fanta. Championships only. Okay, enough. <laughs> we got to get to battle for Atlantis. Championship game. Final score. Tennessee 64. Kansas 50. And the Tennessee jokes, uh, they, they lose to Grambling early. People are wondering what's what's going lost on. To Colorado, lost to Colorado lost, after lost Colorado. To Colorado lost to Colorado early who lost to Grambling. Yep. You know, the, all those Tennessee jokes, put them away. Put them away. Coach McCall, what would you see in Tennessee's win over Kansas? They out-rebounded them by 18. I mean, that, that that's the big – like, when you watch Tennessee, they were bigger, faster, stronger in that game. I, it just felt like it was that simple as that. And you look at the stat sheet, they out-rebounded them by 18 in the game. I think Tennessee's terrific. I think the job that Rick Barnes has done there, uh, you know, over his tenure uh, to have them in the cream of the crop in the SEC, I thought they were the more physical team tonight, and I think that stat shows it. And I think that that's ultimately why they were able to win the championship down there. But, you know, it's interesting, even if you go back to the games prior or or their games leading up to the finals – you know, when I look at the game that they had two nights ago or last night, you know, there was chances in that game where, you know, USC had opportunities and chances to win, right? And but you got to give Tennessee all the credit in this game here. I mean, to out rebound Kansas by eighteen, they were the more physical team, and I think that that's why they were able to win this game. So I, I have I have some hot takes. Um, I think that that Bill's going to have to really change something with the way that they're doing stuff at Kansas for this season and this season alone. Uh, They don't have that low post guy that you can just throw the ball into. Right. So they're trying to play KJ Adams at the five and like in theory, I get it because he's, what is he like? Six, six, super athletic, switchable. Like you can kind of do some different things with with him defensively. Like he's not a terrible passer. He can kind of play off the bounce a little bit. He gets to the offensive glass, um, but he's not, quite at the level that you need him to be to be able to play that small ball five because he's just he's he's basically a complete zero offensively like you can't you can't run those duckins for him you can't run that offense so you get that little seal so he could turn the late in because everybody's got a big monster and when he tries to do that against euros plavsic he ends up he, like he looks tiny it's like fanta standing next to zach Eady, right um, he's not making shots from the perimeter he's not really creating anything like in short roll actions and because it just Everything gets clogged up when he's out there, which doesn't help that Jalen Wilson, like, I don't know why he's such a bad shooter, but he, like, that shot looks great coming off his hand, but he just can't shoot. He can't make them. Um, Kevin McCullough is not really a shooter. Dewan Harris isn't really a shooter. So you run into a situation where uh, they're trying to get a lot of stuff where they do that, like, the the weave out front, and they try to get Jalen Wilson coming downhill off his right hand, getting to the rim, same thing with McCullough, and there's just no space for them to do it because nobody can make shots other than Grady Dick. So... I think that they need to scrap this idea of having a traditional five man and just go like full small ball, play Jalen Wilson at the five, get Kevin McCullough, Grady Dick, and then like MJ Rice, Dewan Harris, Bobby Pettiford, Joseph Yesifu, like play, play Jalen Wilson at the five, 
say that, look, we're going to, we're going to take some losses. We're going to get beat up a little bit in the paint. Sometimes we're going to give up some offensive rebounds, but I think you need to just try to find a way to make that sort of lineup work. Cause I just don't like, they want KJ Adams to be um, Mark vital, but he's like 70% of Mark vital. And the problem is that like that extra 30% is what makes you good enough so that you're not a net negative right now. KJ Adams is not good enough defensively to, to make up for what he provides or what, or what he doesn't provide on the offensive end. So I, I think we're going to have to see that change or Ernest Uday is going to have to take a big step forward. One of those yeah, two I mean, things has to happen. You can't get out rebounded by 18 and go five for 21 from the three point line and think no. you're going to win the game. Right. I mean, I, I agree with you, Rob, just in terms of floor spacing. You know, maybe maybe try to go to some more five out and space it out to create some driving angles and try to put some people in some closeouts. But um, I don't think we should take anything away from Tennessee either and, no. and the job that they did in that game and just being the more physical, tougher team and going down there and especially after the loss to Colorado and to go down there and win that event um, and handle some adversity against USC two nights ago, right? I mean, USC had opportunities and chances – to win that game, a couple bad offensive possessions for them down the stretch, but take nothing away from what Tennessee did down there in the Bahamas. By the way, that's that's the best MTE in terms of just being a coach and going to. It's the best venue. You're down there. That ceiling's kind of low. It's it, they do everything at the Atlantis. By far the best MTE. Better than better than Maui. Never went to Maui. Coach Donovan would never go back to Maui. Went one time, uh, I think in 1999 with Mike Miller and Donnell Harvey. And the travel was so brutal coming back, That's never tough. went again. And that was that, 1999, 2000 was my senior year in high school. So I was not a part of that, that trip. To yeah, that can, it can mess you up the, the six hour time difference. Yeah. I, I can, it's I hard. Can see that. But it hey, nothing... rapid fire here. We got, we got about two, three minutes here on the clock. So well, can I never... just give a shout out real quick to Zakai Ziegler? Like, how good is he, Fanta? He's good. How good Rob. is that dude? He's good. And he manages the game, but he does more than that. He distributes so well. Like, they've got a really good one-two backcourt duo, and they defend. They defend, and you combine that with their three-point shooting, and and the way that they shut down Kansas offensively. Like, I, I know what you said about Jalen Wilson as a jump shooter, but Tennessee held Wilson to 3 of 15 from the field. That probably, folks, will be as good of a defensive performance as you see on Jalen Wilson the entirety oh. of the season. He's he's the player of the year favorite. Well, maybe it's not now after that season. performance, but coming in, yeah, he was the player of the year. All right, we got two we got two minutes here, and we're gonna go very very rapid fire. Wisconsin, Wisconsin, they had a good showing in the battle for Atlantis. I mean, they took Kansas to the wire. They beat USC sixty four fifty nine. So, Rob, I'm asking you, buy or sell the Badgers? Big picture NCAA tournament team. Am I buying them as a tournament team? Yeah, yeah I, I I think so. It's the I don't know how to pronounce the kid's last name. S S E N What is it? How do you pronounce? Connor Esegian. Yeah, that that dude, like he can play. Like he's got to to use uh, a word that uh, a phrase that To said to us. Like he's got some shit to him, right? Like I, I did not realize how good that dude was. Um, I think that that's important because he's kind of like a guy that he gives you another offensive outlet, right? I, I don't know if I necessarily trust a team with Chucky Hepburn and Tyler wall as like the two guys that you have offensively, but yeah. And the third guy there who like can kind of create some of his own stuff a little bit, like they're, they're good. I think that they're really good. And you know, they're going to be solid defensively and you know, they're not going to beat themselves with turnovers or anything. I, I think they're a tournament team. Now 
I don't know if they're a team that can contend for the Big Ten title, but like in this year's Big Ten, I think 13 and seven will probably win you at least a share of the title. And I don't, I think, I don't think it's impossible that they get there. Like they're, they're good. I mean, yeah, they, they, me because this isn't rapid fire enough. I'm sorry. It's rapid fire. We got to get, keep going here. Emerald Coast Classic, Iowa beat Clemson 74 71. In fact, in the Big Ten today, only one Big Ten team has lost, and that's before Gonzaga, Purdue, and Oregon, Michigan State. Michigan State, you, you would expect to bounce back. But Iowa, folks, Iowa has not lost. They beat Clemson today, Matt McCall. What do you make of the Hawkeyes? Listen, I think that I'm buying. I'm buying Iowa right now. I, I think that they've obviously put themselves in a, in a played a tough schedule up to this point as well. They put they played some challenging games. I, I think you cannot count them out in the Big Ten. No question. All right, Sunday. If it is Duke Gonzaga, Coach McCall, who would you pick to win that game? I'm not going to go against the Zags. I've been riding with the Zags on the field of 68. I'm not going to go against the Zags, so I'm going to take the Zags right now up 14 to seven over Purdue. Rob, do you agree? I'm going Duke. Give me Duke, baby. Give me Duke. I'm, I'm mostly just doing that to go against Matt. <laughs> hey, 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 I'm with you. Remember, I picked – we've talked this past week. Picked Duke originally. I'll stick with Duke. Rob Doster, UConn, Iowa State. Who wins? <laughs> Come on, man. Like, why, why are you asking me that question? And if, By the and way, wait, I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys saw this, but in the, in the in the Gonzaga Purdue game, there's there was a dude courtside that had three beers in his hand, handing the beers to his buddy, and the ball comes at him, and all of a sudden he gets hit, and the beers went all over, like all three of them just. Oh. On his friend. Like, look at this guy's completely soaked. Look at his pants; he's completely soaked. <laughs> that's brutal. That's that like guy... fifty dollars worth of beer that's in his lap right now. That guy is the loser of the night. That's that's all the time we have, folks. What a day of college basketball. Feel the 68.shop. You can check it out there for all your merchandise, all your shirts, all your needs. Subscribe, comment, like. We're on again tomorrow, right? We have a Saturday night edition. Are we on tomorrow night? Sunday night. Sunday night, 11 p.m. We're back Sunday night, 11 p.m. That'll be at halftime. Are you on Sunday night, Robert? Yes, unfortunately. Oh, my gosh. You have to put up with Rob during a Feast Week championship game for the Connecticut Huskies. To all of you who will be watching, you better have a beer. I was, I was, pretty, I was pretty well-behaved tonight, man. <laughs> I, was just like, I was just like UConn. Nothing but net. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>